Welcome back to another episode of That's Business. Today's guest is the co-founder and CEO of Rebel Nell, a certified social enterprise and woman-owned jewelry company with a purpose that employs women with barriers to employment to help them transition from a life of dependence into self-reliance. She's also the co-founder of T, which stands for Teach, Empower, Achieve, a 501c3 organization that serves as a partner for people, primarily women, facing barriers to employment and aims to be a driver of equitable change. She's also the co-founder of The Congregation. Once an abandoned church, The Congregation is now a cafe, coffee house, and bar that serves as a hub for community programming throughout the year. Before taking over as CEO of Rebel Nell, she served as VP of Special Projects and General Counsel for the Ross Initiative in Sports for Equality, or RISE, and as the Associate Counsel for the Detroit Tigers. She earned her bachelor's degree in history from Kenyon College, her Juris Doctorate from New England School of Law, and her MBA from Suffolk University. Amy, thank you so much for being on this podcast. I'm so excited to have this conversation. Angela, thank you. It's such an honor, and I'm, I'm grateful to be here. Amazing. And I love that you are in Brazil right now just promoting this. So this is even better and amazing. But I want to start before we dive into Rebel Nell congregation and all the amazing things you're doing for the Detroit community. I want to start with throwing it way back. What did you want to be when you grew up? There were actually like two things that I remember specifically. One I really acted on, but one was like this little bit dark. But very beginning, I wanted to be a mortician. Did not know that. The the idea being like, I really wanted to be a surgeon, but I didn't want to fuck up. Fair enough. (laughs) There's that. But then my my real passion came when I was about 14. I wanted to be the first female general manager of a major league baseball team. That's what I really wanted to do. And I kind of set out with that course in mind and ultimately ended up working for a baseball team. That's what I wanted to be when I was a kid. I love that. How did you come up with mortician and then move into general manager? Listen, I love all things. So this is so fascinating to me. (laughs) I think I took a science class and I was like, oh, you have to do this to get to no thanks. We're good. It's a wrap. (laughs) We're good. We're good. Yeah. Science wasn't my strength. I would agree with that for myself personally. Now, where did the I mean, obviously, I'm guessing you loved baseball or everything. But so 14 years old, I'm guessing you were going into high school or in high school. So what was that kind of molding you while you were in high school? Or what kind of made you decide you wanted to? So first of all, be so impactful that you wanted to be the first woman to do this? Yeah, I had a really great relationship with my grandpa, Mm -hmm. but I was particularly close with my grandpa Peterson and my dad. I'm still very close with That's where I found my love of baseball. And we have a minor league team in our hometown that's been a plethora of different affiliations, but it's most recently the Jamestown Terp Scouts. And but when I was a kid, I would go to this games and instead of running around with all the other kids, I would sit and score the game. I learned how to do it. I learned how to like the art of baseball. So that was just a really happy memory for me. And that stuck with me. And then I just love a good challenge. So I was like, well, I'm going to be the first female general manager. That's what I really wanted to do. That's incredible. Now, you went through high school, obviously. And I don't remember the timeline. I know I've heard the story. You've said it multiple times, but I suck as a friend, but that's okay. So tell me. After high school, because you're not from the Detroit area, where did you go? What did you do? What did high school Amy do? Or college Amy, I should say, do? College Amy. So I went to Kenyon College in the middle of nowhere, Ohio. Uh, I really wanted a small liberal arts college, but one that had rugby, women's rugby. I really wanted to play rugby in college. So I fulfilled that dream by going to Kenyon. I loved my experience there. I was very grateful for it. 
I was a history major and then did my thesis on Negro League Baseball. And again, that just like furthered my appreciation for the game and particularly of the history of the game. And then I went to really like with the mindset of having a well-rounded brain. I I knew at the time when I was looking to get into sports, it was going to be really challenging being a woman, particularly wanting to get on that, you know, no girls allowed side of baseballs, which I lovingly refer to it as that I needed to like really stack the cards against in my favor was my mindset. Right. So I went to law school and I really wanted to understand how to read contracts. That was cool. And then following that, I went to business school to really understand business because baseball is a business, understanding the value of a player. That is all stuff that's required for the GM side of things. So that's where I put all of my energy. And then following that, I just applied to work for free. <laughs> I, I kid you not when I say that I have rejection letters from almost every team except the Yankees. I don't I didn't apply to the Yankees like a good conscience. So I ended up in Detroit with an internship. And I had three rejection letters from the Tigers, but I ended up in Detroit as an intern and just worked my way up to ultimately being an attorney for them and, and getting my you know feet wet with arbitration and stuff that is required to be a GM. Yeah. So that's what brought me to Detroit. And you come to Detroit, of course, not being from here or anything and getting into the Tigers. So I want to first talk about what was your time like with the Tigers and then Where did we transition into this next phase of your life that you're in now? My time with the Tigers was great and challenging. I didn't know a soul when I moved to Detroit. And I was so grateful because I got the opportunity. Not even like a cousin of a cousin. I didn't know anybody. But in many ways, I was so, that was helpful. I saw the city with rose-colored glasses. You know, here I'd been rejected from so many other teams. The team in Detroit gave me an opportunity to pursue my dream. I was able to live within walking distance of the ballpark, another dream that I had as a kid. And this was like on an intern salary, like I'm making nothing. But that was just the time in Detroit. And I met a lot of incredible people. A lot of people were working at the Tigers, also pursuing their childhood dreams of working in sports. A lot of them didn't have family there, just like me. And so we developed really close bonds. I'm still really close with my Tigers family. As I was really trying to merge my way into the player development side of things, that's when things got a little challenging. To say I was, you know, met with open arms with my ambition would be untrue. There wasn't the support that I wanted or needed in order to take my career to the next level on the player development side of things. And I had a lot of real personal struggles with that emotionally. And it was really hard because I sacrificed a ton, but it wasn't being acknowledged. And I kept getting passed over for other opportunities for younger men in the organization. And it was frustrating. It was really frustrating. But in many ways, good came out of it because I was living next door to a well-known shelter in Detroit at the time called Cods that focused on women and families. So I'd come home from the games and, you know, walk my dog, get to know the residents. And they became, you know, my friends. I would check on them every day. And hear their stories of how they left challenging situations in search for a better opportunity. So I was able to channel my frustrations of being a woman in the sports industry into starting Rebel Nell, something I never in a million years thought I'd be doing. But here we are. So I want to talk before we dive into Rebel Nell, because I love this story. But how did you come up with the name Rebel Nell? I have a business partner at Rebel Nell, Diana, and she and I were 
brainstorming the name, it actually took us a long time to come up with a name that we thought would be reflective of the work that we do. And we thought it'd be nice to pay tribute to a woman who's a trailblazer. I I really appreciate and recognize all the women that have come before us. And we learned that we both have a shared love of Eleanor Roosevelt and everything she stood for. She was an incredible humanitarian, civil rights activist, women's rights advocate. And her uh, nickname was Little Nell. That's what her dad called her. And I was reading a book about the Roosevelt's at the time. We thought, well, of course, she absolutely embodies what we are trying to build with the company. And we're like, but she needs a more badass nickname. So that's how we got Rebel Nell. We actually believe that the women that we employ from the shelters are rebelling against what life has dealt to them. I don't know if I even mentioned yet, but we make jewelry out of repurposed material. A lot of it is falling graffiti, so it's a rebellious art form. And that's how we got our name. In your story of, and I think it was, you walked down the Dequinder Cut and saw fallen graffiti, if I remember the story correctly. But Correct. So you walking down Dequinder Cut, which those that are not local to Michigan is beautiful scape of Detroit that you can walk down, see through. I don't even know if we say it's a landmark, but I think it is here. I think so. I mean, I think it's a, certainly a destination. Yeah, it is a destination. I think it comes up in like top 10 places to visit in Detroit. So we'll say it is. But ever since I heard you talk the first time in 2016, anywhere I see, I'm like, this is what Amy uses. It makes sense. So talk to us on how you thought of like combining fallen graffiti into jewelry or what that looks like. And you are not taking it off the walls. It is fallen. So talk to us on that. Great question. So we had the vision for the mission first. I think that was where we started. We started the company. We're a very mission forward company. We're a verified social enterprise. And our mission is to provide employment wraparounds for women with barriers. But we needed a product to sell to support this. And what was that going to look like? And I wanted it to be Detroit-centric. You know, at the time when we were starting the company, I, again, I'm forever grateful for the city, for so many different opportunities. And I was running on a Dequinder Cut, and it just, I saw a choke on the ground. I thought, wow, it looks so cool just on its surface. Again, it's just falling off, off the walls. And you turn it outside, I could see all the layers that made up that piece. That's something to put in perspective that, the part of the story that I often leave out, and I'm trying to do a better job of incorporating it because it is really important, is the story of Detroit. Like this was 2012, 2013, and Detroit was in the midst of one of the biggest bankruptcies any city has ever experienced in the United States. So, so much of what was there in the past, like a lot of the resources in itself was just coming through a really bad recession in 2008. So still kind of recovering from that. So the city did look a lot different than it does today. But to me, it was getting a real negative portrayal in the media. And here I was like, no, this city's great. It gave me an opportunity in my dream. It's made up of so many ideas and people and history. Don't discard the city. And so that was like that piece that I brought back and I called my business partner. I was like, I got an idea. Let's just find a way to repurpose this. I think we've got something cool. And that's how we made our first piece of jewelry. I love that. And it's so interesting. And I love that you should share that part of the story because during that time, Detroit was getting a ton of hate. It's like, you don't want to live there. It's so ghetto. It's so this. And it's like, I've always been a city lover. My dad has a wholesale distributing company out of Eastern Market. So I really know Detroit and Eastern Market that way. It's so interesting. And to really explain that, yeah, it's beautiful and glorious now, but especially you seeing that. And I love, love, love people like yourself who just see it for what it is and like the potential instead of like, oh, I don't want to do it or no, I not my thing there, but I'll go to nice restaurants and not really explore other areas within it. So I love that part of the story too. Now, your big piece, of course, like you said, being a social enterprise, being registered for that, 
you talk about employing women from various situations that you talked about, and especially having that experience living next to that shelter. So walk us through how you employ these women. Please give yourself from credit all the awesome resources you give them because I feel like you downplay all the life-changing activities you do offer. So talk to us on the employment aspect or how you onboard these women. Thank you. Yeah, we do do a lot. And the secret to our sauce is really the relationships that we have with our local shelter partners. And actually, in fact, in 2016, I founded T, Teach, Empower, Achieve, which is a nonprofit that is set up to help other social enterprises like us who are looking to hire a challenged workforce. So T, we now have, that's actually where we've transferred all of our relationships. But how it works is we hire directly from local shelters. I think we're up to nine shelter partners right now. Wow. Uh, And women come in who, uh, you know, really, this is not exhaustive, but this is where our focus has been. Women who have been previously homeless, returning citizens, so they've been previously incarcerated, refugees, LGBTQ+, and women um, who've been victims of domestic abuse. And so the women will come to us. We don't do a background check. For us, that's not important. Where you've been shouldn't dictate your future. And we teach them everything they need to know. So we train them on how to make the jewelry. There has to be some dexterity, but you'd have no jewelry training is required. So in addition to employment, we also, through our nonprofit partner, we also offer financial training, business education, life wellness, housing resources, legal aid to really help meet the women where they are and prepare them to get closer to a life of self-sufficiency. And approximately, they're with us, granted pandemic threw everything off, but about 24 months where the first year is really focused on breathing. You know, that you have a job, let's kind of break down those barriers that have been prohibitive in the past and start tackling them. Food, water, shelters first, right? Like, let's make sure you have a roof over your head. Let's make sure you have the budget to support food and making that the primary focus. Once we get in a situation where they understand their budget, they understand because every person is different. And then we start tackling what has held you back from being able to hold jobs in the past? Is it transportation? Is it infractions on your license? We start tackling those. So then after year one, the breathing year, then year two is now that you can breathe, what have you always wanted to do? And how do we get you closer in line with that job? Then after that time period, the goal is that we graduate them into jobs that are closer aligned with their dreams and they have better pay and benefits because now we can show those new employers that they're able to hold a job and sustain it. That's incredible. And I love this, of course, being in hiring and career services myself. So always a big fan. But or what do you convey to other employers of even if they have, you know, something on their record or something that happened? What is the biggest misconception you would say about individuals of this background? I think there's just such a stigma around people, particularly who've had to encounter a shelter in some point in time in their lives. And I think that so often, especially when you have a system that is built to unfairly target minorities that, you know, if somebody has an issue on their record, should they be truly judged for that? I'm a big fan of remove the box, um, whether or not you have a record. So that's, I think, what we're trying to get across, especially with T. T's looking to grow and expand and add more companies who are really interested in moving the needle on social impact and doing it through hiring. It has to be a soft landing space. That's part of what we do, but understanding the importance of that impact, right? Yes, you're going to get a, hopefully a return on your investment because we all need employees, but you're going to get a return on human capital as well. 
And you're actually your incredibly loyal employees. So we've been fortunate. A lot of the women that we've employed have stayed with us and, and essentially graduated into salaried positions at Rebel Now. That's incredible. Now, where you talk through this, and I love, love, love the headquarters because it's so beautiful and you get to really see how the jewelry is made and everything. But what are some of the things you're working on in the future? I know you have a lot of different partnerships going on. And like I said, before we started recording, I'm like anywhere. And yes, of course, I know you, but your name just keeps popping up in every facet of wherever I go, I swear, in the Metro Detroit area. So what kind of is in the future for 2023 or what's Rebel Nell expanding into? Yeah, for 2023, we have really big growth plans. Like we have to hit a very significant number in sales. Last year was a down year, but it was a down year for a lot of people, and especially coming off of the pandemic. But I'm really optimistic of where we're going this year as far as new collaborations. We've got some major events. Our International Women's Day event keeps growing every year, and we try and do something a little different, like a little funky. But we find people who you wouldn't necessarily hear from. Like My hope is that we're able to get a burlesque dancer to talk about body positivity and how that's an amazing career for that. Like I just think that that's a very powerful voice and one you typically wouldn't hear like an International Women's Day Summit. So that's kind of just to give you like a sense of where I like to go with these different conferences. We've got a ton of experience. Our corporate gifting has taken off as well as our team building and women's networking events or even just like Girls Night Out. Our kids' birthdays are great. So we're, we're kind of trying a lot of fun things. We also opened a retail store behind the Shinola Hotel, and we're hoping to open two more this year. So that's 2023. Buckle up. I'm ready. No, I and I love how diverse you are, because I feel like someone from any walk of life, like would find value in working with you, whether it's with T with Rebel Nell or just different partnerships. And you have a lot of awesome things to you. And big fan, obviously, if you couldn't tell by now, I'm a big fan of you. Well, right back at you. Right back at you. I'm a huge fan of yours. Thank you. But I also want to talk about the other business you have, the congregation. Now, little background, my jaw dropped when I heard you talk at our M3 event, because I had no idea you own the congregation until a year ago, or whenever we had this, like a few months ago. And it is one of our favorite places we go as a team. We were going once a month. Like it is one of my favorite stops whenever I'm downtown. So talk to me on the background of, first of all, what is the congregation and how did you have this idea to turn it into the wonderful place that it is? Thank you. So the congregation was a formerly abandoned church in my neighborhood in Detroit. And one thing that we're missing in our neighborhood was a gathering space, like they didn't really know my neighbors other than my immediate neighbors and I'm a pretty social person, but we didn't we don't really have too many amenities over there. And also putting in perspective that this is where the 67 rebellion started is over towards our neighborhood. And so there hasn't been a business over there in 50 years. So I saw this space and I was like, oh, my gosh, this would be a great place to get people together. But turns out finding who owns a church and especially an abandoned one is very, very challenging and records get a little murky. Uh, and I used to like write letters under and slide them under the door. And then one day I just had my son. So he was maybe eight weeks old. Wow. I'd just gone back to work. And I had him in the back. And I actually don't have to go. Like I take the next street over as my exit. And I took the street that goes right by it. For no reason. It wasn't construction other than there was like this gut feeling of like take this road home today. And I drove by it and the doors of the church were wide open. <sighs> And I texted my husband and I was like, I'm going in. I've got her son. 
you don't see me ever again. This is where I went. But he's like, just wait. I'm like, not a chance in hell. Nope. I'm going. <laughs> so I like walk in and there's this really tall gentleman in there. And I said, what? what's happening? Because I was like, are they getting the congregation back together? Is a new church coming in? Because you really just want to see these buildings being used, right? Like, right. They're very historic buildings. You know, there's just ways that we can all be stewards for the next era to make sure these buildings are used. And he said, no, uh, actually, the church moved out to somewhere in the suburbs and they're looking to sell it. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. I'm like, I've been trying for at least two years to. Two years it was? Yeah, yeah. Wow. And he's like, well, let's talk. I was like, that's great. It was very important to me. I know there was another offer. Mm -hmm. And it was super important to write the church a letter saying that my purpose, my intention was to turn this into like a gathering space. But I wasn't a church. I just, I don't know. Maybe they didn't care, but I felt like I wanted to write this letter. And they wrote back a really nice letter saying, that is the purpose of that building is a community space and a gathering space. So, you know, whether or not religion is practiced there, that is the purpose of the church. And I was just like really touched by that. And it turns out that most of the deacons came to our grand opening when we had it. Um, so fast forward, it took us from day to purchase three and a half years to open. Wow. Yeah. We're just dealing with all sorts of fun stuff in the city. And we opened on March 6th of 2020. So then we shut it down nine days later. <gasps> Oh, mm-hmm. March 6th of 2020. That's a good one. March 6th, 2020. And then we closed it, you know, obviously went through the whole pandemic ride. But it's just a, it's a wonderful space. It's a great place to bring community together. We have such fun activities. Our business partner who operates on a daily basis, Betsy, is just phenomenal at what she does. If you ever get a chance, come to check out the house nights on Thursdays in the summer, or farmers markets on Wednesdays. Oh, we've got salsa dancing and live music it's just a great space well and the great thing i've been to the farmer's market i will be going to salsa nights it just never worked out over the summer because mine was chaos but and i want to point this out that you truly have represented i feel like the multitude of people that live in detroit and that there's something for everyone there different i mean the farmer's market was great i didn't even know it was a thing till we were there one day early summer and i'm like what are they setting up outside but The fact that you're taking local vendors and giving them a space or just teaching different lessons, you have local DJs. I mean, when you say it's the congregation and it really is a community, like it feels like it. You walk in the door, you feel it. And your food is so good. Can we talk about that too? Like the food is good. And I'm a foodie myself. So I'm like, is this going to be over? This was before I knew you owned it. But I was like, is this going to be one of those things like, oh, it's so hyped up and it's going to, you know, break my heart? No, so good. Food is great. Your specials are great. The people that work in there are great. I mean, it's just one of my favorite staples in Detroit. And even more, I love it even more knowing that you own it. But I love that story because it is a great space, great vibes, great everything there. Thank you. I appreciate that. You're welcome. I'm just going to be your hype chick. That's just what I'll run around and I know. I need it. I feel it. The energy is amazing. But talking through this, I mean, pandemic was difficult. I mean, I really, and if you feel comfortable sharing, but what was going through your head? Like you open this finally after three and a half freaking years, and then you have to shut down a week later. So talk to us through what was going through your head during it, when you were able to reopen it. I mean, honestly, how you stayed afloat during it, because that's a lot. Yeah. And you just, I think going back to 2020, it was such a blur. It's a blur for everybody. Mm-hmm. 2020 wasn't the bad year. 2020 was just, I mean, just survive, like just. Right. It was scary, but like, you know, Rebel L was shut down. The congregation was shut down. Everybody was shut down. 
and we didn't know what was going on, what to expect. Your priorities kind of shifted in life where it was like, okay, well, if we lose it all, let's at least stay healthy. And that, that, yes, was certainly scary, but there was a lot of, you know, government support and love for small businesses during that time, which I want to acknowledge was really helpful. But I didn't have time to worry, to be honest. My worry didn't come till much later. Mine was like, okay, be the rock for the team. That's what I got to do, right? I got to be strong for the team. I got to make decisions for the team. I got to make sure the team's okay. Boulder Rebel now at the congregation. What can we do? Like, just it was in go mode. And honestly, it wasn't until 2022, like the summer of 2022, when things like kind of got back to breathing and normal. That's when I had a complete and utter meltdown. Everything just like came. And I went to a really, 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 really dark space. And I think that was my time. You know, I just had to block it for so long. So the impact of COVID we're still seeing in many ways. And, you know, hug a small business owner. Yes. Because they need it. I was on a call today with small business owners from all over the country. And man, the struggles are real. And then we hit this year with a recession. It's like, give us a break. Just like one good year. And then staffing's a challenge. So I have always loved small business owners. And they are so inspiring. And But if you know one, I'm just my call out to the world, my action item. Send them a text, tell them you're thinking of them. Hug them if they're comfortable with hugs. I'm a big hugger, but give them a hug next time you see them. They all need love, but I'm biased towards small business owners right now. Well, it is true. And I don't know if you face this too, but you know, on social media, it's like, wow, you're killing it. Everything's great. And it's, I think the most challenging part is from people that aren't like, you know, your friends you grew up with high school, college, whatever, elementary school. And they're like, you're killing it at life. You're this. And it's like, oh, I barely made payroll last week, but thanks that you think I'm doing great. Totally. You know? totally. It's so interesting. And it's like, you have your different segments of friends, but it's like, just ask us how we're doing. I've had my friend that's also a small business owner ask me, and I'm like, it's not great. It just, you know, lose my mind with it. And yeah, we love a good mental breakdown as well. So yes. Yeah. I think it's being honest about it. I've always been appreciative of mental health and I understand it. I personally hadn't experienced anything too like overwhelming in the past. Last year, I, I went, I went so dark that I, I was surprised for even myself. Mm-hmm. I like that it is being a little more normalized and that we can have these honest conversations because yes, I wouldn't have had this conversation five years ago. No way. And the other thing I think that's super important, which I didn't realize when I was going through my own personal struggles, is that you still have to function. I guess that's what it's, right. you know, it's like, oh, we talk about depressions. In my mind, this is so ignorant. So forgive me for that. But I just was like, oh, OK, but then you can like stop and deal with it. Not that you actually can, but I just... You know, it's like, oh, they're going through something. So therefore, like the world can stop around them is where, you know, when you're going through, you're like, oh, God, no, I still got to go through life. And that was that was like a reality check. But it is true. I mean, I had my little bit of things in early this summer and it's like, you know, you still feel bad about it. And I had to come clean to my employees, be like, yeah, this month I'm going to be I need some time so where I can rely on you. But it's also like you have to do things. And depending on how you're structured, like I have to run payroll, I have to do sales. If I'm not working, we're not generating sale. I mean, now we have sales team, but you know, things like that, or for you, like partnerships or just whatever that looks like. And it's just something that's not thought about. And that is such a great point to bring up is like, you can't really take a break or I do take a break, but I'm still checking emails need to know if things are on fire. Right? Right, right. Absolutely. 
Oh, that's such a, oh, I'm really inspired from that comment because I really want to talk through that on another conversation here. I love that. Now, as we wrap this up, I always like to ask every single guest, what advice do you have for listeners? And this can be open-ended however you take this. What advice do I have for listeners? Oh, something that, you know, the one thing I always say, like, if you are looking to start a business and that's like what you want to do, A, you only have one shot at life. So for me, I've always like, I'd rather try it and fail than wonder, wonder what if. But to help with that, like if you can keep your job while you test the waters, that's a good way to go because it's really stressful once you take that full leap, but you'll know when it's ready. And the other thing is get an accountant early. Oh, yes. Everybody thinks we can do it. Unless you are a true CPA, everyone's like, you know what? QuickBooks. I got this. Super easy. Everybody I know starts out, hires someone for a crazy amount of money to come in and fix it, which they're probably paying the same from the jump. But that's my advice. I love that. Or vet your accountants and vet your people too, because they made that mistake. Mm -hmm. That's a great one. Great piece of advice. Well, Amy, thank you so much. This was so much fun. A lot of great insight for this. Now, if you want to attend Amy's International Women's Day event, if you want to follow her, buy from her, even if you're not local to Metro Detroit, she does have an online store. So all the links are in our show notes. And thank you for listening to another episode of That's Business. If you're looking for a career change and you're not sure where to start, the Resume Rescue can help. Sure, there's no such thing as the perfect fit for everyone, but here at the Resume Rescue, we're on a mission to find the perfect solution for you. Whether it's changing careers, updating a resume, learning LinkedIn, or practicing interviewing, we have you covered. Find us online at theresumerescue.com and find all of our contact info in our show notes.